I, this is how it works. Number one, it is vital for you to have answers, which means it's very good for you to ask questions. Uh, one of the ways that Jesus taught was he constantly asked his disciples questions. And he encouraged them to ask him questions. So it's vital. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. First <clears throat> Peter three fifteen. I will ask Brother uh, Dan Everly if you'll read real loud. First Peter three fifteen. All right. So somebody comes along and they they ask you, how do you have hope? How can you look at this world and how can you look at your life and how can you face into whatever you're going into and have any hope. What's your answer? You need to have an answer. And it says answer to every man. So everybody's going to have lots of questions, and it's okay for you to have questions because getting answers is vital to the Christian life. We're not airy-fairy. We just have empty faith. We have solid answers from the Word of God. Second thing, I want you to ask Bible-related questions. Do not ask me about Trump. Okay? Don't ask me about uh, gun control. Don't ask me about politics. Don't ask me about uh, anything that's outside of the Bible. Let's just stay in the Bible, okay? Uh, ask, and please ask for edification. I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a moment. Romans chapter 14, Miss Kathy. Romans 14, 19. <clears throat> Romans 14, 19. All right, so the things you need to follow after, the things you need to pursue are not, don't, don't try to chart an argument, all right? And, and so there, there's plenty of questions, plenty of issues that as you're reading your Bible, anything's open, but watch your spirit. Is, is it just so that you can say, I want to, I want to show pastor where he's wrong? Don't do that. Don't do that, okay? Try to edify. Try to be a blessing to the audience because not everybody in the audience knows what's going on, and somebody may be brand new coming in, so don't just come in and throw the hardest curveball that you can, all right? Brother Eric, okay. As for edification, edification means what? Somebody tell me, what does edification mean? To edify, yes, sir. Okay, build up. So you're learning, you want to learn something that helps somebody or helps you. Doesn't just cause an argument. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 23, Gavin. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. <clears throat> Right, that's where I get this, I, this statement that, listen, you can ask anything you want, but just be careful. Is that question going to help anybody, or is it just, you know, is it just showing off? Am I just showing off how smart I am, you know, by asking that question? Do you understand what I'm saying? Not, you know, anything's open. If it's really something that's bugging you, amen. But be careful. Make sure this is really important, okay? Um, Seek to learn. The reason why you should be learning and asking questions is not just for knowledge sake, but for ministry sake. Everything you learn ought to be so you can serve God better. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1. I'll ask uh, Mr. Lee. Would you mind reading 1 Corinthians 8.1? All right. So be careful that you just don't want to add knowledge. 
and say, oh, now I know another answer. Because what does knowledge by itself do to a person? It gives you, it gives you a pride. gives you this thing of, I know more. Be careful because the, the, the emphasis in the Bible is not on knowledge. The emphasis in the Bible is on charity. So make sure you're learning so that you can serve, so that you can love one another. Another thing is I'm in charge. Not my wife, not, not Kathy, not Dan, although I'll be turning over a lot of questions to him. And now that I got Keith here, I'll turn over all the hard ones to you, okay? We were going to give it to Dan and Andrew. Oh, I'm coming to him. I'm coming to him. But I was going to give you all the hard ones and all the impossible ones go to Andrew, okay? So... No, the point is this. If, if you ask a question and I don't answer it to your satisfaction, guess what? I'm in charge. Okay, talk it with me after. Let's not get into an argument. Amen? I know we won't because we just, we're, we're, we're gentlemen here. Amen? And ladies. <clears throat> so, but I'm in charge and when I say, okay, that's enough. That's all I can answer. Then just, just accept it. Don't get offended. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brother Keith, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. Don't get offended. It's in the New Testament, brother. What a slam. I mean, it's very, he's saying, you know, I fed you like a baby with milk. There's a lot of meat in the Bible, isn't there? There's some stuff you have to chew on and you have to really work through. He says, I couldn't teach you any of the meat stuff because you guys are just fighting like babies over toys. So just be careful. If you if, if you if, if my answer upsets you, I'm trying to give it to your Bible. Don't get offended. This is, this is be mature and say, you know what, I'm going to chew on that. Maybe pastor does know a little bit more than me. It's possible. It's possible that I know more. Anyway, than you. Anyway, all right. And I may say, you may ask you a question, you know, uh, and I may say, I have no idea. And that's all I can say, amen? That's when I turn over to Dan and to Andrew and to, uh, I pointed to Andrew, and to, and to Keith over there. <laughs> All right, I'm having one of those um, senior moments here at the moment here. So try and learn how to learn gracefully. That's my point. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Dr. Keith II, would you read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9? This is the last verse here. Hebrews 13, 9. It's also in the New Testament. I don't care. Go ahead, Doc. Nope. Hebrews 13, 9. Mm-hmm. 
there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians who get occupied. They get all wrapped up in certain things in the Bible, and it never, it's never helped them one bit. It's very important for that to learn to have grace and to get grace. Grace is, is just marvelous. Meats, they can, you, they, you can choke on meat. So, so some of the questions that you have, if I say, wow, that's meaty, I'm not sure I can answer that, so be it, okay? We can deal with it offside. So, all right, so now's your chance. I have been uh, prayed, praying up, so here it comes. All right, Marcus, you're up first. First question. One second. <clears throat> First Corinthians fifteen fifty one and fifty two. All right, you want to read it and then tell me what the question is. Um, it's one of the, uh, I would completely, um, <clears throat> I would say it's a, it is one of those meat subjects. Okay. What you have, okay, what you have is you have, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Revelation, what you have is you have a, a period of time called the tribulation. Hold in your place here in 1 Corinthians. We'll come back here in just a moment. <clears throat> and uh, Revelation Chapter Seven Trumpets. Now I have a new Bible, so I can't find anything. But it's chapter eleven. <clears throat> All right. If you look in um, chapter eleven, verse fifteen, it's probably chapter ten where he gives no chapter. Yeah, chapter eight and nine in Revelation, chapter eight and nine. And if I let me just try to reiterate what his question is. When is this the last trumpet? Is it one of these trumpets? And I want to say no, it's not. And I'll show you why. Revelation, I'll take you back to chapter 8. It says this. Chapter 8, I'll take you back here so I can lay the groundwork. Verse 6. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. And verse 7 says the first angel. Verse 8 says the second angel sounded. On and on, all the way down to chapter 9. Skip chapter 10. It's going to have a a parenthesis chapter. Go into chapter 11 and verse 15. <clears throat> and it says this, And the seventh angel sounded the seventh trumpet. Now, if at all, if, if you're going to look for the last trumpet, that is the last trumpet. All right? But I want you to show where the last trumpet that we're looking for. Okay? And um, uh, you'll go to Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Again, is chapter 4 before chapter 8? Yes or no? Okay, thank you. I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a... Talking with me. So, if I can say this, there are different dispensations, there are different time frames that God works in. And I'm going to make a bubble here. I'm going to make a bubble here. All right? 
And the people that live in this bubble is you and me, all right? There, Mr. Joe Soap, Miss Joe Soap, and little Johnny Joe Soap, whatever you want to call him, okay? This is the period of time when we call the church age. This is when uh, uh, the uh, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, uh, so on and so forth. Start churches, uh, win the Gentiles. But there is coming a time called the tribulation. And during the tribulation, guess what? There are seven trumpets. They will have a last trumpet, but there's a trumpet before the seven trumpets. And it's our last trumpet. So up in heaven, there is a trumpet blowing to all the Christians who are alive at the end of this age, at the period of time, at the end of our bubble. And all Christians will go up. Where, if you'll notice there, the, the words are the words of the rapture, which said unto me, Come up hither. And verse 2 says this. And immediately I was where? I was in the spirit now. And I behold a throne was set in heaven. John was raptured up to heaven. And this is, this is one of the greatest and strongest evidences for a pre-tribulation rapture. And the last trumpet is the last trumpet of this time frame. Okay? So. That's where the confusion comes in. Everybody thinks, well, there are seven trumpets down there. It must be talking about tribulation trumpets. No, it's just another set of trumpets. During the Old Testament, there are different soundings, different trumpets. Some of them would sound war. Some of them would sound celebration. These trumpets sound war. This one sounds victory. It's the end of an age. And that's the one we're listening for, okay? Does that make sense? All right. Next question. Dr. Barry, although I'm terrified. You gotta be loud, please. Yes. All right, if I understand your question, I'm going to reiterate it. You tell me if I'm right. <clears throat> in the book of Acts, which is kind of an indicator, right? we're looking in the book of Acts, sometimes the Holy Spirit is imparted, transferred from somebody who had it to somebody who didn't. And uh, why was that? And why was it only partially, not always the case? Is that correct? Is that what you're asking? All right. <clears throat> in the book of Acts, all right, let's do this. Uh, for the most part, in the Old Testament, Barry, who were the main nationality, who were the people group that God mainly dealt with? Israel. As a nation, God worked with and through the Jews. Now, in the Old Testament, what was the main tool that God used to to show his his ways, um, his expectations. I'm not sure if I'm asking, but I don't want to give you the answer if I can. Sorry, no. Yeah, that may be okay. But I'm saying the main the, the main tool was God used the law. All right. Now, another thing under the Old Testament, um, you have. Um, 
Mm, I don't want to go too deep. Let me just stop with these two things. You come into the New Testament, now I'm going to draw a, 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 a line here, and we're going to come into what we call the New Testament. But when I say that, I'm talking about the time. If you take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. All right, Barry, if you would read, I need you to go to chapter 26. And um, okay, verse 27 and 28, Barry, Matthew 26, 27 and 28. Okay, was the New Testament actually going on at the time of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Was the New Testament actually active and in operation, yes or no? Not yet. What was the deciding point in time when the New Testament began? Good. So let's put up here a cross right here. Okay? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are still under the Old Testament, under the law, primarily to the Jews. Remember, there was a Gentile woman who came. She was a Canaanite. She came. She begged the disciples to, to come and, and heal her daughter who was vexed with the spirits. Demon, she was demon-possessed. And the disciples ignored her. Even when she came to Jesus, Jesus wouldn't answer her. She said, Lord, help me. And he said, it's not fit to give the children's meat to dogs. And she said, well, us dogs will take the crumbs. And he said, this is great faith. The point is this. She wasn't part of the program yet. So, when you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of people think this all New Testament. No, it's preparing for the New Testament. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. There's a book that straddles all that confusion that's going to come when you move from the law to what we call Grace. When you move from Israel and the Jews to no Jews, they're just Christians. No Jews, no Gentiles. When you, when you move from, from, uh, like you mentioned, the priests to the believers. There are no priests in the New Testament, are there? As a believer. A believer has direct access to God. I can worship. I can sacrifice. The, the sacrifice of praise. The point is this. There is a bridge, and that is the book of Acts. So the things that you see in the book of Acts are by nature transition. They carry with them things where Peter's like, he's confused over, how can I, in Acts chapter 10, how can I go and, and eat with a Gentile? And God says, because I cleaned him up. And what I've cleaned, don't you call unclean. Because this Gentile now was equal to Peter. So Peter's struggling with this transition into a new dispensation. So the book of Acts has Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 19, and others. You have things where the Holy Spirit is not just working like it does now. The moment a person believes right now, guess what happens? Go to Romans chapter 8. 
<clears throat> Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> All right. Um, bada bada bada. All right, verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness, all right? Christ in us, we're going to look at that in a second. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, first it was Christ in me, now the spirit is in me. If he dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also one day is going to quicken, resurrect your mortal bodies by his same spirit that dwelleth where? In you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors now, not to the flesh anymore, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall what? I don't care how saved you are. You can ruin your life. You can start living back for the world, and you still pick up that old bottle. You can pick up the pills. You can pick up the old friends, and it'll kill you, just as, just as it was killing you before you got saved. But we're not talking about killing our soul. We've already dealt with that in, in Colossians chapter 2. It says, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live and you'll have a long life. You'll see your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So the emphasis on the Christian life is, is, is the law, Brother Barry? Is it the works of the law? No, it's the Holy Spirit, right? Now, wouldn't it be important for me to get the Holy Spirit? Of course it would. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, for ye have not already received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we now cry, Abba, Father. Uh, the spirit itself bears witness right now with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we are, that we've had late, hands laid on us? No, no, no. You know what the test for your rewards now? It's whether you suffer whether you willingly suffer and put up with trouble for his sake, that we may be also glorified together with him. Now, I need a verse that says in here, and I may have skipped it, and it says that if any man have not the Spirit of God, is it 8-9? Thank you. I, I went just a little bit further. I should have started in verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh anymore. Remember what happened to your soul when you got saved. It got circumcised from your flesh. The flesh doesn't dominate. It has no dominion over you. For ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell where? In you. Now, a lot of people capitalize on this, and it says, have you received the Spirit since you believe? I had that question to me when I was a new Christian. I probably had it to me a dozen times. Have you received the Spirit since you believe? Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? And you know what? I did. I had the Holy Spirit the moment I got saved. And that is the reality of New Testament Christianity. But in the book of Acts, God wanted to make two points. One was that Gentiles who got saved were just as saved as the Jews. How did the Jews know that they were in a new dispensation? Somebody tell me. How did the Jews know they were in a new dispensation? Andrew, I'll let you answer. Well, the gift of tongues primarily. All of a sudden, these Jews are speaking in German and Latin and all these crazy languages. These Jewish people... We're speaking 15 different languages. Those dumb, hick uh, hillbillies from Galilee were speaking all these different languages as a gift of tongues. And it proved that they were in a new dispensation. The Holy Spirit was given to them 
as a gift. Now, in Acts chapter 10, here's this Gentile, Cornelius, speaking. Did anybody lay hands on Cornelius? No. All right. Later on, Paul lays hands on some disciples of John that had never been, you know, never knew salvation, only knew the baptism of John, and they received the Holy Spirit. So the emphasis is not the laying on of hands or not laying on of hands. The emphasis is do you have the Spirit? And since Acts was transitioning into the new age that we're in, it was showing God was changing things, and he was very careful at sometimes showing it, sometimes not, so the people paid attention. Because when it's repetitive, when it was always just the same, nobody noticed the reality of a change has happened. So when you want to know, why didn't God just make it standard, all of a sudden everybody was the same? Because he wanted to emphasize things have changed. That's the answer. I'm sorry for it to be in so long, but I, it is a meaty question. Somebody else got a question now. Bill. <clears throat> Yes. That's right. All right, hold on. Galatians what, 21? Galatians 5.21, all right. Give everybody a chance to get there. I'm sorry, just one second. All right. Ah. All right, Anna. All right, what Bill's question is, is the verse says that if you're a reveler, does anybody see that word reveler? What's a reveler? A partier. Okay, that's a good modern word. That's excellent. A reveler is just a troublemaker. How many of you were troublemakers? Let me see your hands when you were growing up. Amen. All right. So, uh, I mean, if you're a troublemaker, Bill, you ain't getting in. I'm sorry. It's just over. Might as well pack up and you're going down. All right, but let me let me show you a, 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 a really simple principle here. In the verse, what you have, go back to verse uh, 16. This I say then, walk in the what? All right. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the... All right, so let's just, we're going to divide up our life into flesh dominion and Holy Spirit dominion. Does it have a capital S or a little s? Okay, because the emphasis is on not not even my spirit, but on the Holy Spirit in me, right? So there's two parts of me in operation. The next verse. Now, if I've got a problem in my flesh, and I do, do you have a problem in your flesh? Not your head, okay. i got a problem in my flesh. How am I going to defeat that? I walk in the Spirit. I make my decisions according to the Bible, and I just live it by faith, and, and I do it with a spiritual mindset of, I'm going to do this because this is how Jesus lived. That's the spiritual mindset. The Pharisee says, well, I'm just going to dot my I's and cross my T's. I'm going to be a good little boy. Will that ever work? It will never work. So the works of the flesh and the work of the Holy Spirit is actually not called a work. What is it called? Anybody already guess? A fruit. The byproduct. It just happens, folks. 
The fruit of the Spirit is listed here in a moment. But the works, oh my goodness. I mean, the flesh really works at making this stuff. So he goes on. Verse 17. For the flesh lusteth intensely desires against what? Okay, so one part of me, can I do, uh, Nita, I need you for a second, because you're the only one I can do this with. Come up here. This will be fun. All right, Nita, you intensely desire to go that way. Okay. <laughs> I intensely go this way. Now, this is nice, all right? <laughs> it's great for a husband and wife. Thank you. You can sit down. But I just, I just wanted to do that. I didn't need her to do that, but I wanted to do that. Anyway, I want to go this way. Where does my flesh want to go? That way. I have an intense desire to serve God. I want to worship God. I want to read my Bible. I want to learn the Bible. I want to win a soul. What does my flesh want to do? Intensely wants, I mean lusts after the things of this world. And the two of them just knock heads. So that you cannot do the things that you would. You find yourself just, I'm in a constant battle. All right, so was Paul. So were the Galatians. He says the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if he be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, if I'm led of my flesh, can I, can I help you here? Bill, if I'm led of the law, I'm sorry, if I'm led of the law, hmm. if I'm led of the flesh, guess what I'm under? I'm under the law. The law was written to bring me in line and to stop me from going out of line. I'm going to get to the point. I have to lay this thing here. Because if you're led of the Spirit, if I'm being led by the Spirit, I'm not under the law anymore. The law doesn't have any rules against loving. <laughs> doesn't have any rules against having grace and having, um, uh, having joy. All right, let's keep going. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're easily seen, which are these. And you listen, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is another word for lust, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings. How many of you have ever envied? We're all doomed. <laughs> uh, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Stopping right there, anybody who does these things by nature, if I live in the flesh, if I'm doing this and there's no lust against the, uh, against the, the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, people who live this way, they're not going to heaven. That does not mean that I don't struggle with it. Go ahead. Before they got saved, correct? Yes. Repentance means a turning where I am used to living this way and I turn and I cry out to God and I say, God, I can't, I can't work. I can't live right, but I want to follow. And that's when the Lord saves you and he, he enables you by the Holy Spirit to live out a different life. Yes. Because you still, how many of you still have your flesh with you? Okay. So will my flesh always struggle with that list? Yeah, there's, there's no Christian in here who's not going to be tempted by some sin. And your sin may be different than my sin, all right? Okay, 
because I don't want you to just think that if you ever do it once, well, you're back damned again. Because I need you to go to Acts chapter 13 now. Acts chapter 13. I probably could keep you in Galatians, but I'll, I'll remember this one. This one just jumps to my mind here. Acts chapter 13. See, this is where the Christian actually sits back, and as I gave you the other day, he just has a good belly laugh, and he realizes, I'm really saved. I don't, this stuff should kill me. This stuff should send me to hell. But once you get born again, look at what Acts chapter 13, run down there, verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, through Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of, what's the next word? Sins. That's a lot of, that's a lot of word. <laughs> and by him, all that believe are justified from how many things? All right. Justified does not mean made perfect so I don't sin anymore. Who wants to help me out? What does justified mean? Now we sing a song, justified, but help me out, Amanda. Okay. But it is, you're, you're, it's, it's a very practical definition that God makes it as if I am not a sinner anymore. Now, do I still sin? Yes. And I will sin until the day I die. Hopefully, I will sin less and less. But I will never be sinless. Does that make sense? All right. So when, so when the devil comes up and points out something that says, you shouldn't go into the kingdom of God, you shouldn't be saved, you can agree with him. But you're not, you're not made so that you no longer sin. You're made so that sin doesn't, isn't held against you. No sin is held against you as far as your soul and your eternity. But I'll ask you this. What if, uh, let me find some evil looking guy here. Eric. Um, what if Eric goes off and gets drunk someday and falls under the table, loses his testimony and stuff like that? You know, his wife will kill him, or I will. But anyway, uh, but you reap what you sow in the flesh now. But you cannot reap anything in your, in your, uh, in your soul. You are forgiven from how many trespasses from which the law could never save you. Does that make sense? All right, so the point is people who only, if I could quickly erase this, only have the flesh and only have the works of the law, they'll never inherit the kingdom of God. But those of us who have the kingdom of God, that work, that flesh, you know what we ought to think about our flesh? We hate it. That we can't wait to be free from it. You know what Paul said? I can't wait to be, to disrobe this flesh and to be clothed upon in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter five, clothed upon with a new body that doesn't sin. All right. So does that make sense? All right. Another question, Miss Dina. What is it? Mark four fourteen. Forty. Mark four forty. <clears throat> Dina, you want to read it? <clears throat> okay.
right? This is a very convicting question and answer now, and I appreciate it. I like this. All right, so let's create a thermometer for a moment, and in this thermometer is faith, all right? Now, we think because we believe the Bible that we have faith, and you don't. Just a belief in the Bible is a creed. It is not faith. Um, As a matter of fact... When, when the disciples were following Jesus and he was doing everything, did they need faith? No. Now, I want to say this. Let's, let's start down here. And the smallest amount of faith, right up there, is all you need to believe and be born again. You don't have to have understanding, not a lot. You don't have to have any works. You just have to have a desperate cry from the heart. I just believe you. I don't, I don't understand you. I don't know if I understand the Trinity. I don't understand the King James Bible. But I know you died for me and you were buried and you rose again. And I just trust you. That's just the smallest amount of faith. Amen? You know what God gives you? The gift of eternal life. So don't think that because you believe to salvation that that's great faith. Not at all. Now, the disciples... They thought they had great faith because they're following the Messiah. But when Jesus said, you know, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me and three days later I'm going to get up. You know what they went? What What did he just say? You're not going to die? Come on, Jesus. They didn't believe him. Their faith was almost always, almost at zero the entire three and a half years. You wouldn't think that. You'd think surely Peter had great faith. Not at all. Uh, uh, Peter struggled with faith Every day of his life, it took the resurrection for him to stand out there on that balcony and preach to a crowd of 20,000 and 3,000 get saved. It took the resurrection to get him to step out and live by faith. He never knew how to live by faith while Jesus was here. So now I need you to go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> well, we'll go to chapter 2 first. 1 Peter chapter 2 first. 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> and then we'll go to Second Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 2, and start in verse 2, Miss Dina. And 3. All right, now I'm not, I'm, I, there's not a lot of, uh, visual here, but here at this very mark, when a person gets born again, they have, look at the word, tasted. I mean, look, uh, uh, say you fix a, a nice big meal, and then your husband comes in and he dips his finger in and he just tastes it. He hasn't taken the whole meal, but he's tasted. That's all he had to do to be saved. You just have to trust him with your heart, with all your heart. You believe with all your heart. But it's not like you fully understand. It's just all the faith you got, which is almost just above zero. 
But as newborn babes, just like you got saved, desire that sincere milk of the word, that ye may what? All right, so I grow by the word, but I need now go to Second Corinthians chapter, second, sorry, Second Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. And that's not the word I want, but it's close enough. I'll have to. <laughs> it'll it'll help. Go ahead and read 3.18, please. All right. Who by whom? Go ahead. Finish the last part. Sorry. All right. I was thinking it said, but grow in faith. I, I, my, I need to grow my faith. Yes or no? Yes. I, and in order for me to grow my faith, I got to stop thinking I have great faith. Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could move great faith. He just wants us to use the faith that we got and he wants us to add to it. And as we add to it, our faith grows. Jesus is just simply saying to his disciples, do you guys realize yet that you don't have faith? Because the kind of faith that they needed to have was, we've got Jesus in the boat. Why are we worried? He told us to go into the storm. Why are we worried? He's, he's going to get us through. He's never failed us yet. Why are we worried? They hadn't gotten there yet. So he was trying to just illuminate, expose the fact they were still at zero. Does that make sense? So when we go through a trial, a disaster, and we go, God, what are you doing? What happened? Are you asleep again? What can we immediately recognize? My faith is at zero. Not that, not that the word not saved, but that we're just barely above zero. And Jesus says, come on, grow that faith so that you can just trust me. Because Jesus says to Peter later on, he says, Peter, one of these days uh, they're going to take you by the hand where you don't want to go. And I want you just to go. I want you to follow me. And Peter got all upset. He said, well, what about John? You're going to make him suffer too? And Jesus said, if I make sure he, does, he has no problems, what is that to thee? Just follow me. Because that's faith. Faith doesn't say... My life turns out better, like Benny Hinn says. Faith is, come hell or high water, I want to stay faithful. Does that make sense? Okay, so get a little picture on, we all have the same faith. We just need to grow our faith, amen? All right, another question. We'll try to get a few more in here before we end. Another question. Come on, don't be afraid. There comes Weston. Now I'm afraid. No, sorry. You're okay. Alright, that's a lot of meat. I'll give I'll give you just a taste right here, okay? Everything has been in place since Jesus' first coming for his second coming. As a matter of fact, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 
Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching to a crowd of 15,000 or however 3,000 get saved. Verse 14, Peter says, Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Anybody know what time that was? If it's the third hour of the day? 9 a.m. is the third hour since sunrise. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What had just happened in the previous verses? Twelve men started speaking in tongues. And he says, this is Joel's prophecy being fulfilled. And he goes on in verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last... What's the next word? All right. So sometimes when the word... Now, if I say, you know, like the mafia, these are your last days, they mean you've got five days to live, okay? But when the Bible says days, the one day is with the Lord is how, how long? So it could be thousands of years. You have no idea how long the last days are. But as far as Peter's concerned, Peter says, we're in the last days. Keep going. Uh, saith God, and I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now I ask you, Weston, did God pour out his spirit on all flesh? At that day, on that day. No, only on 12 men. But Peter's expecting that because God had started, God would keep it going. And go on. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. Holding there, we'll come to the verse, the next verse will be the last one. Uh, Weston, did any of those last things happen yet? The sun was not turned dark, the moon was not turned to blood, but Revelation says it's yet to happen. All right, so as far as Peter was concerned, he thought it was going to happen in his lifetime right then and there. We read there in 1 Corinthians 15. Who asked that? Was that Marcus? First we, we shall be changed. We shall be caught up, 1 Thessalonians says. We will uh, not die. Death will be swallowed. Paul believed the last days were in his day and they were all going to take place. So everything that needed for Jesus' second coming was already in place just after his first coming. So whatever we see going on is just God's plan just recycling and just keep going on. It's sort of an idol. God's schedule is in idle mode right now. We cannot put a day or an hour on his return. So are we in the last days? We've been in the last days since Peter and since John. However, I will, be, I will say this. Some things are bigger signs than others. One of them is the fact that Israel's back in her land. Another one is that there's a chip being capable of being implanted in people's right hand and in their forehead right now. Never been before. Uh, there are things that point to the fact that we are so close, listen for the shout. But if I said to you a hundred years ago, say we were meeting in a cabin like the old TA hall, we had candlelight, and you said, are we in the last days? Guess what I would say? Yes. Well, it's a hundred years later. I just say still, yes, even more so. Does that make sense? God fixed it so that we never can go, 
there. I know we're at the end. No, we can't do it. I know. Don't ask. Because generations different in different times. Generation, uh, at some points in, in the Bible, were 40 years, sometimes it was 20 years, sometimes it was 70 years. So when, when you have the Jehovah's Witnesses saying the, la the, the last generation was 40 years, they bowed out, they realized they were wrong. So when God puts, he, when he doesn't say how many years, we don't make it. We don't make it say what we want. I know. Actually, it was. Actually, okay, okay. Um, I, I, all I can say is this. This is neat. When you start looking at end times, people enjoy it. I've enjoyed it. But you have to put it aside and go, God fixed it so that I can't carry it to the end. And so at some point, I've got to get back to soul winning. I've got to get back to reading my Bible for the grace because at some point, I step back and I go, I believe it could be today. That's where I settle. Okay. And that's, that's very good for all of us. All of those things are to whet our appetites. All of those things, Syria and, and everything going on, Damascus, what you're saying, ought to whet our appetite, ought to make us go, wow, maybe it could be today. Hurricanes. Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, he says, the waves in the sea roaring never have any... I mean, I'm a dumb Texan. And here I am learning every year of 15 hurricanes all over the world. Who would have thought that I would hear of waves and, and, and raging and storms going on all over the world? Typhoons. The, 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 the Philippines get 20 typhoons a year. I don't know how they survive. But I never would have known that. And there was Jesus saying, men's hearts failing them for fear, but the end is not yet, he said. So those things sort of just make us look up, make us look up, but we don't know when. Okay. All right. One more question. Anybody else? Tony. Yeah. All right. My understanding of the Bible is that I need you to take your Bible and go to Second Timothy chapter two. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2.15. All right, Brother Tony, what's the first word there? All right, let's go there. All right, study. Is this study to show your pastor? No. Study to show thyself approved unto, unto God. All right, study for... God's approval. That's how you might say it. What are we studying? All right. So now read it. Start from the beginning. 2 Timothy 2.15. All right. You're going to have to work at it when you're studying. Amen? You're a workman when you're in that book. Is it possible... You could be wrong. Come on, come on. 
Yes, and the Bible says there, it's, uh, just using that verse, it says 2.15, uh, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. So there are times you go, oh, I didn't know I was wrong. And that's one of the greatest evidences of a, of a, of a student is that you'll go, all right, I accept I'm wrong. Amen. So, possibly when you're studying and you're working at it, it's possible to be wrong. But you're studying how? By rightly dividing. I'm not thinking right. My brain is 30 sentences ahead. Shut up. <laughs> Normal. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You're, you're, you're getting me off the ladder of truth. Okay. Now, Brother Tony, one thing we can settle is that book's true. Amen? That we can settle. One thing that we can settle is I've got to study, I've got to work at it, but the thing I've got to be careful of is that I can possibly be wrong, so how do I make sure I'm not wrong? I learn how to rightly divide. So when you come to the Bible, there are things that don't belong now in their future. There are things that don't belong now because they're past. And I rightly divide. If ever you've taken apart something, you know what you do when you take things apart? You put screws up here that are this size and these, these pieces that went there over here. And you, you rightly divide out your, your thing that you're taking apart so you can put it back together again. And too many people come to their Bible and they chop it up and they make it all... Ugh, they can make great graphics and they can make great lessons but they've minced the Bible and they can't put it back together again without sending somebody to hell. That's where a cult comes in. So, a dispensationalist, I don't know why this thing is blinking, just ignore it. The demons in the electronics. Um, a dispensationalist knows that there are things that belong to the tribulation. Like he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. I'm a dispensationalist because that verse doesn't apply to me. When it says, uh, to you that are in Judea, when the Antichrist sets up himself on, on the throne and the temple rebuilt there during the tribulation, you that are in Judea and you're on the housetop, don't get your clothes. You just run for the hills. So I know those are the Jews during the tribulation. I come to another scripture that says, um, uh, uh, like in the Old Testament, about how important the Sabbath is. I realize Exodus chapter 31 says, this is just between me and you, Israel. It's not for the Gentiles. And I go, okay, I can dispensationally say that is a specific thing that finished with the cross. And no Gentile has to keep the Sabbath. Okay? So I'm a dispensationalist. So when you used another phrase, what was the other phrase? You said a new covenant? What would you call it? All right. There are at least 500 terms that people invent. I don't even know what you have learned what New Covenant theology is. There is something called covenant theology. And that believes that God works on the basis of agreements with you. And we're not into covenant theology. Right? God made an agreement with Abraham. God made an agreement with David. God made a covenant with Noah. But you know what God did? He made a covenant with his son called the New Testament. And that covenant was all who believe on you I will receive. That's the covenant. I don't have a covenant with God. Jesus does. And when I come to Christ, I'm welcomed into the new covenant. So there's all these theological terms, but let's boil it all down. I'm a dispensationalist because I know I have to rightly divide the word of truth. And every covenant theologian 
they ignore that fact. So I, I'm not like them. I, don't, I, I, I have heard people mutilate the Bible by trying to make things in the Bible say what it doesn't say. And I'm never, I'm, I try not to ever do that, okay? Well, I, I don't want to tell you to believe exactly like me, but as you study, I think you'll find that it's just dispensation. It's just, there's nothing wrong with being a dispensationalist. Again, there are hypers. There are people who go way too far. We're just general, simple, clear dispensationalists. When somebody throws a verse like, you know, you've got to keep the Sabbath, go, no, I'm not a Jew. Okay? All right. Anybody have fun tonight? Learn some things? All right. I want to sing. I just heard from heaven. We'll go home. Amen.